Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We're excited that you're here. We know that you could have been anywhere else a couple days before Christmas. Some of you probably should have been shopping, right? Because you're not done yet, and it's way past time. But we're excited that you're here tonight. And if you're with us for the first time, here's what I'd love for you to do. Uh, We're not going to point you out and do that weird thing they do in churches sometimes where they make you raise your hand. That's incredibly uncomfortable, right? Just stop by the New Here Lounge on your way out. We've got a gift that we'd love to give you as a way of saying thanks for being with us tonight. But church, Could you do me a favor? Could you help me welcome every person with us for the first time? Come on. Come on. Now, I know the reason why some of you are here tonight. You are ready for the biggest Christmas debate of all time to be solved. And the debate is whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And so so if you're one of those people and you say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, can I get a hand up? Come on, if you'd say no and you're wrong, can I? Yeah, see, I mean, I'm just saying the the debate is settled, right? It is absolutely a Christmas movie. But no, for real, the reason why we're all here tonight is because it's getting closer and closer to Christmas. And when we get into the busyness of the Christmas season, it's easy for us to think that Christmas is really about all the gifts and all the busyness and all the things that we need to do or that stuff we need to cook or the things we need to plan or prepare. But The reason why we celebrate Christmas is the fact that the Savior of the world, the one who we call Jesus Christ, came and he lived a sinless life so that you and I could be saved and set free. And so maybe you don't have a church background and this is maybe your first time in church in your whole life or maybe it's the first time in a long time. Regardless, we're going to unpack the Christmas story together and I believe as we open God's word, it's going to apply to our lives and change us forever. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 tonight, Luke chapter 2. But if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be available on the screen beside me. And additionally, if you don't have a Bible and you're in person with us tonight, we do want to let you know that available in our resource center, we've got Bibles that we'd love to give you free of charge. Uh, It's just our way of, we want you to have access to God's Word because it's really important. Like, we love the fact that you come to church. I call that job security for me. But (laughs) you need to have a relationship with God outside of just what you hear somebody teach you. God's Word is living, active, and alive, and He wants you to spend time with Him personally. And so you need a Bible that you can read and understand, not one that you can't understand and just sits on your bookshelf. So if you don't have one of those, we've got one for you free of charge. But to bring you up to speed with what's going on in Luke chapter 2, there's an angel named Gabriel that comes to Mary. And Mary is a teenage girl who is is there, and, and she's a person who's found favor with the Lord. And Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to give birth to a son. They're going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is going to be the Savior of the world. So the second biggest Christmas debate is Mary, did you know? And the answer is yes, right? Like the angel told her it was, he was going to be the savior of the, the world. But Mary was engaged to this man named Joseph. Mary doesn't get impregnated by Joseph. She's 
has, she's having a baby that's conceived by the Spirit. And so if you're ever looking for drama, just go to Luke chapter 2, because if your fiancé comes to you and says, look, it's not your baby, there's, there's an issue. <laughs> and Joseph wants to leave. He wants to run away, but the, another angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, you need to stay. This really is God. And Joseph makes the decision to stay, but now they're heading on a journey because Jesus is about to be born. And in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, it says this, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree and that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while that guy was governor of Syria. Come on, don't get hung up in scripture with words you can't read. Just move to the next one. I earned every C I ever got in school. Come on, where are my C people at? <laughs> and everyone went on to their, their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went from there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This baby that they're referring to is baby Jesus. And so when we think about the Christmas story, sometimes we would look at it. And if I was looking at the Christmas story objectively, I would say, God, wouldn't you plan well enough ahead so that when Mary and Joseph showed up into town to have Jesus, there was a room available for him and it was going to be the Ritz Carlton, right? They're not staying at the Motel 6. It's the nicest hotel possible. It's the cream of the crop. It's the best thing because he's the savior of the world and he deserves the best. But when they get into town, Jesus doesn't have space. Like, think about this for a moment. The inn was full. There was no room for Jesus. And this is obviously important in the Christmas story because if it wasn't important, God would leave it out. And so I think what it's doing is it's communicating to you and me that the very people that Jesus came to die for didn't have any room for him. And I know you and I would be tempted to say that that's not really us, but I think we're a whole lot more like that than we'd like to give ourselves credit for. Because I wonder for us and in our own life how many times Jesus shows up, but there's a no vacancy sign of our, in our life. There's no room for him. And the reason why there's no room for Jesus is because we've kind of filled our lives with so many other things and so many other circumstances and situations. For some of us, the rooms of our lives are filled with all kinds of things. They're filled with family activities, work, friends, hobbies. If you have kids, then your hobbies are whatever sports they're playing at the time, right? I don't know how y'all do it, right? I mean, some of y'all are like, you're, you're the closest to omnipresent, because you're at like 17 different sports practices at the same time. I mean, it's, it's impressive. We fill our lives with things like Netflix and social media, and then there's stuff that we don't like to talk about that we fill our lives with, 
like addictions or hidden sins. And over and over, our lives become filled with so many things. And tonight, I've really got this central theme of what I want to talk about because when we look at the Christmas story and we see that as Mary and Joseph showed up into the town to give birth to baby Jesus and there was no room available, when they didn't have room, they made room. And so if you're taking notes, you can write that down. When you feel like you don't have enough room, you make room. When Mary and Joseph discovered that there was no room available for them, they didn't just give up. Why? Well, because if you've ever been pregnant, you know just giving up, it just doesn't happen, right? This baby's coming out whether you like it or not. So there wasn't a give up option. There has to be space. And I would say the same is true in our own lives because we may feel like there's not enough room for anything else, but my hope is as we unpack God's word, what you're going to find is that you need to put Christ in your life and then build everything else around him. See, this idea of making room is not just something that we see one time in scripture in Luke chapter 2. It's actually a theme that we see all throughout the Bible. There's one story in particular that's my favorite. There's these four friends, and they have this friend who's paralyzed. And their friend can't make it to Jesus who can be healed, so they choose to load their friend up and bring him to Jesus. And so they're on the way, and they get to the house where Jesus is teaching, but they figure out that the house is full, that there's no room available for them inside. And so rather than just giving up and going, well, our friend's paralyzed. He's been that way for a long time. He's just going to have to get over it. They look at the situation and go, well, when you don't have room, you make room. So they climb up onto this guy's roof who they didn't ask permission for, and they cut a hole in his roof, and they lower their friend down. And as they lowered their friend down, Jesus looks at this paralyzed individual, and he says, because of the faith of your friends, your healed, now get up and walk. We see this idea of making room in other passages of scripture as well. There's a woman who has an issue of blood, but there's a crowd of people who are preventing her from getting to Jesus. So what does she do? Instead of just giving up because it seems like she's never going to get there, she makes room. She pushes her way through the crowd. And with just one touch, she's immediately healed. I wonder how many of us, we give up too easy. It's a little bit difficult. And the reason why it's difficult and the reason why we feel like we don't have enough room is because this is is an Amazon box. Come on, I'm friends with my Amazon delivery. I I made a joke last night that I might give up Amazon for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Just know that's a joke, right? Come on. (laughs) You can't be giving up on Amazon. We don't give up on people like that. But when we look at our lives, this box represents our lives. And so what some of us do is when we kind of look at the way uh, our life is, we take this beautiful box labeled Jesus and we go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to add Jesus into everything that we're already doing. And when we do that, what happens is, well, the, the box doesn't close because Jesus was never meant to be an addition to what you do. He's meant to be the foundation of everything you're built on. 
So when we look at our lives, it's not that we just try and cram Jesus in here because this ain't going to work. That's why some of you have been trying to get this Christianity thing right, get this Jesus thing right, and you just keep saying, I don't have enough time. It don't fit. It will never fit if this is your approach. But what we have to do is instead assess everything that we've placed in our lives. And so, come on, we got work, we got family, we got friends. Some of y'all, this friends box is bigger than others. It just is what it is, right? We got hobbies. We've got those things like Netflix. For some of y'all, that's a significantly bigger box. And then we've got things in our life like addictions, hidden sin. And when we get everything out on the table, now the box is empty. And when I talk about making room, here's what I don't want you to think I'm saying. I don't want you to think that I'm saying you need to clean things up. Uh, Tori and I have an island in our kitchen, and uh, we'll just call it the catch-all. Come on, how many of you have an island like that? It's like every time you want to do something on the island, you got to clean everything off the island so that you have enough space. And when we think sometimes about following Jesus, that's kind of our approach. It's that if we just clear everything off, if we just clean up a little bit, then this following Jesus thing works. And maybe you don't know what it's like to have an island that's cluttered, but I think it's a lot like uh, this too. Have you ever invited somebody over to your house only to panic at the condition of your house when they tell you they're on their way? And you're like, oh my gosh, my house is filthy. These people can't see this mess that I live in. So what do you do? You run frantically around and you try and clean up as much as you can. And you've got this one room in your house that you're going to exclude from the tour. You know, you've been doing construction for four years. It's not construction. That's the room you throw all your junk in when people get ready to come over so you can hide your mess, right? If we think that that's how we have to approach our relationship with God, we'll spend all of our time cleaning up before we come to him when God never asked us to clean up first. Cleaning up and making room are two different things because if we understand the good news of the gospel, we would understand that you don't have to clean up before making room. The temptation is to feel like what we need to do is to reorganize or reprioritize the things in our life. But you don't need to just reprioritize. You don't need to clean up before making room. What you need to do is know that Jesus Christ does a really good job of cleaning the things that he died for. Some people spend their entire lives trying to clean up, trying to get better, trying to do better before they come to Christ, but you don't have to clean up before you make room for Christ. We can go to that next point. You don't have to clean up before making room for Christ. You and I need to understand that before Jesus died, he knew the mess that we were in. And he still chose to come anyways. The reason why many of us clean up our house so frantically is because we feel like if we left our house in a messy condition, that people would judge us for the mess we have going on. And when we think that way about people, 
it changes the way we approach God as well. So we feel like what God will do if he sees our mess, which is interesting because God is all-knowing, which means he already saw your mess. You've never sinned, and God was like, that was creative, you know? Like, I said, you got me on that one. He's all-knowing. He knows it. When we approach God that way, we'll always feel like his goal is to judge us. But God's goal is not to judge you. His goal is to save you. And we find that truth in John 3, 16 and 17. It says this, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, you can circle that, highlight that, underline it, tattoo everyone on your wrist. I mean, everyone is important because we live in a world that cancels people for the things they've done wrong. That's not how God works. If you call upon the name of Jesus, every single person has the ability to be saved. Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God's goal is not to judge you for the mess you're in. His goal is to save you and set you free so that you can do and accomplish all that he's called you to do. He wants to save you, not judge you, not condemn you for the things that have gone on in your past. God wants to set you free and deliver you. And there's people who teach things that say that really what God wants to do is judge you and condemn you for all the things you've done wrong. But he did that. You know when he did that? On the cross. You don't have to live in condemnation or judgment for the things that you've done. If you've placed your hope in Jesus, then Jesus died for those things. That's the beauty of salvation, that it's not something that we have to work for or to earn or to do better at, to achieve. Salvation is something that we receive as a free gift from God. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So so here's the thing. God knew when he died for you that you had some sin issues that you didn't want to talk to anybody about. He knew that you really struggled with Netflix. (laughs) He knew that sometimes hobbies become idolatry. He knew that You'd always fight with this tension of putting your work above your family and putting your work before God. He knew that sometimes we idolize our family and put our families above him. He knew that we would make all those mistakes, and he knew we had all those issues, and yet he still chose to come and die for us anyways. That's the good news of the gospel. Here's the second thing. Respond to God showing up in the middle of your mess. See, when we talk about not having to clean up before we come to God, I think it's a beautiful picture of what we see in the Christmas story because Jesus was born in a stable. He was born in a manger. It's not the nicest hotel. And when we think inn, we may think of like the holiday inn. It definitely was not that, right? This would have been a a space where people could really escape the cold at night. And so even if there was room available in the inn, we're talking about a small room with a dirt floor. 
but there wasn't even room for him there. So instead, they go into a stable where there was probably livestock. The only thing that's really wrong in your nativity scene is when there's wise men there, right? Because that's a whole different story. The wise men were not a part of the nativity. I can't get into it tonight because I have 14 minutes and 42 seconds, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm on time crunch. But when we look at the nativity scene, it's Jesus being born into the middle of filth, into the middle of a mess. And that's exactly what happens for us, is that Jesus steps into the middle of our mess. And when we understand that Jesus has stepped into the middle of our mess, it requires a response. Because experience requires response. I'll give you an example. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Tori, for seven years. January will be eight years. Come on, it's been incredible. Yeah. Um, July 15... 2013, I made the decision to propose to Tori. And uh, can I tell you, it would have been incredibly awkward that day if I would have gotten down on one knee, professed my love to her, told her I wanted to marry her, asked her to be my wife, and she said nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Well, because experience evokes a response. For, For some of us, we've heard about Jesus our entire life, or we've been in church and we've come into churches, maybe traditional churches or maybe contemporary churches, the style of the church really doesn't matter because what I've learned over the years is that you can find church but miss Christ. Like you can come into a church and you can hear about how good God is and you can hear about the things that Jesus has done for you, but if you never respond to those things for yourself, you've missed the whole point. Because salvation, being saved from the mess that we're in, is not a decision that our parents can make for us, our grandparents can make for us. It's not a communal thing where if you just surround yourself with the right people, you will be saved. It's not just working hard or being good enough and then you'll be saved. It's not about just giving money and then you'll be saved. The only way that we experience salvation is that when we respond to the fact that God loved us so much that he would send Jesus to die in our place so that in him we could have new life. And that's exactly what scripture teaches us. And the reason why I keep coming back to Scripture over and over and over again is because there's a lot of churches in the world today that have kind of moved away from what the truth of God's Word has to say, and they tell you what they think about things. Can I tell you, my opinions really don't matter that much. I got opinions on a lot of stuff, but But the truth of God's word is what matters. And if we develop theology that exists outside of God's word, we will never get this right. So here's what scripture says about salvation. It's pretty simple. It says this, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here's what it doesn't say. Let's go back to that verse really quick. That if you confess with your mouth and you show up to church every week, you will be saved. I like you coming to church. That's great. But that's not what saves you. If you confess with your mouth and read your Bible daily, you will be saved. This is not about works. It's about grace. 
And the grace of God is a free gift to you and I. It's that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And then verse 10 says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And we don't talk about justification a lot in church, but what this word means is that there's a debt on all of our lives. And so if you think about it in the context of like a court hearing, now, I know some of y'all ain't never been to court, but I have. Come on. So, if you, <laughs> and it's been more than traffic tickets. So, when we think about this idea of justification, what it is is when you think about a court hearing, someone has done something wrong, and because of that, there's a judge that is going to do sentencing. There's a penalty or a punishment that is required because something was done wrong. What justification is when it says, for with your heart you believe and are justified, it's as if the judge would look at you and say, yes, you deserve the punishment of X, Y, and Z. What scripture would say is because of sin, you deserve the punishment of death, but Jesus died for you instead. That punishment you deserved was already covered. And when we understand what justification is, it's that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And now when God looks at us, he sees his son. And it's just as if we never sinned. We are justified by faith. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This is how we experience salvation and are saved from the penalty of sin. It's by confession and belief and nothing else. And here's the last thing. Allow Jesus, I'm sorry, allow everything in your life to be centered around Christ. And so when we look at this box that represents our lives, what we're not going to do is take these individual things and put them back in because they won't fit. Jesus needs to be the thing that goes in first. When we place God first and build everything else around him, we will experience the life that he designed us to have. So we then bring Jesus in as our foundation, and then we put our family in, and then work, and then we hobbies. Some of you need them. Some of you probably need to leave them out. Come on. We've got friends. And uh, by God's grace, there was still room for Netflix. (laughs) And then when we close this box, it's amazing how everything fits when you put it in the right order. If we do things in the wrong order, we never get the right result. But when we put things in their proper placement, we get the results that God intended. But did you notice there's something that God left out? See, because when you have Jesus as your foundation and you put Jesus first in your life, there are addictions, and we don't, I know people don't like the word addictions because it makes us uncomfortable. The reality is an addiction is anything you can't live without other than Jesus. So for some of y'all, that's like cell phones, social media. I know you didn't have, your toes weren't ready for this, right? Like there's, there's all kinds of things that could be 
labeled an addiction. Like, I, I have a really hard time giving up barbecue because I just believe it's going to be the number one meal in heaven. Like, I may have a problem. <laughs> we've got addictions in our life, and we've got sin issues that we're hidden. But those things don't have to be a part of our life when we put Jesus at the center. Because what Scripture teaches us is that when we experience or we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives within us, giving us the ability to overcome sin, that we don't, are no longer obligated to do what our sinful nature desires. Those things that you've been trying to overcome year after year and get rid of and get over, maybe the reason why you've never overcame is because you didn't have Jesus at the foundation. You didn't have Jesus at the center of it all. See, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, when we think about Cornerstone, we, there was this Hillsong song that came out a long time ago. That's not the, it, that's the premise of the song, but the Cornerstone was this rock that was placed at the foundation. And the chief Cornerstone is the rock that's a part of the foundation that everything else is built around. If the Cornerstone is off, the house is off. If the cornerstone is just shifted a little bit to the left, now everything else you build on top of the unstable foundation is just a little bit off. And so when we feel like in our own lives things are a little bit off, it's probably a good indicator that we've shifted off of what is to be the cornerstone of our life, the foundation, the thing that everything else is built around. Because Jesus designed us to place him first to build everything in our lives around it. And when you do, you are building on a stable foundation. It's the only kingdom that's been sustained throughout every generation. It is the only thing that's unshakable. We need to build our lives around the chief cornerstone. But you know what I love about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21? I'm going to tell you. It says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In the last verse, it talked about being built on the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is talking here. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and what he's saying is Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but know this, God is building you into a house because he's designed you for biblical community. He's placed you in the family. We live in a world where, where people teach that you can have a relationship with God and not be a part of the church. Oh, I just, I have a relationship with God. It's, it's a private relationship. I don't need the church. Well, here's the thing. That's not biblical. You can read all throughout scripture and you know what you're going to find? You were made and designed to have a relationship with God and to be connected in biblical community in his church. There's people who teach that, well, we can, you know, have a relationship with God and I don't, I just don't like the church. I don't think you can love somebody and not love what they love. The church is also called the bride of Christ. So think about this. If somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I love you. I just don't love your wife. 
I'd be like, tough stuff, bro. Because you don't get me without her. And if you really loved me, you'll start to love what I love. And we can't hate the thing that Jesus is coming back for. It's his church. It's his body. This cornerstone that we're talking about, building everything in our lives around Jesus, it's important that you and I put him first. And one of the primary ways that he stays first is that you're connected with other people who are doing the same thing you're doing, putting him at the center of it all. See, the Christmas message is all about us making room for God when there seems to be no room. For some of you in here tonight, you hear this message and you realize, hey, there may be some things in your lives that are out of priority. You've been in church a long time, you've been following Jesus for a while, but you feel like something else is the cornerstone, something else is the thing that everything else is built around. And if that's the case, tonight what I would propose that you do is not try and reorganize the box. Let's dump it, let's make room let's put Jesus back in first. And when we put him in first, let's build around him. And there may be some things that were in your box at one point that need to go. Only you know what the Spirit is speaking to you right now. And have you built your life on something other than Jesus? Because if so, tonight everything could change. For some of you, you're in here tonight and You've experienced God. You've heard people talk about how Jesus has died for your sins. And maybe tonight, like for the first time, you realize that it's not about being good enough or working hard enough or striving or perfecting. It really is about simply believing in the fact that Jesus was enough to die for you. And if that's where you're at tonight, well, the first thing you need to do is surrender your life to Christ is to make that decision to say, Jesus, I am going to make room for you in my life. I'm going to accept the fact that you died in my place and I'm going to confess that you are Lord. Because for some of you in here tonight, it's like Jesus is at your front door and he's knocking. The question is, are you going to respond to his call and his prompting? With every head bowed, every eye closed in the room tonight. I don't know who you are. Maybe you're here in person. Maybe you're watching online. But here's what I know. You feel God in this moment pulling at your heart, saying that you need to respond. Maybe you've heard a whole lot about him. Maybe you grew up in church but you've never responded to what Jesus did for you as an individual decision. And if that's you tonight and you'd say, hey, pastor, I feel like God's speaking to me. That's me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. As everybody's head is bowed and eyes are closed around the room, would you just boldly declare that for a moment by lifting your hand up and saying, hey, that's me. Come on. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray for you. But nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Would you just repeat this after me, church? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.